0: Hello beautiful people. Welcome to Nectar Sex and Soul. I'm your host Suraya Leonora and I'm a holistic sex and relationship coach. This is a chance for us to get intimate, to reach far into the mystical, magical, erotic, tender, inspiring, vital, primordial depths of what it is to be human, what it is to express and inhabit these amazing bodies fully, and what it is to make love to the divine in everything we do. We'll be penetrating deeply into the nectar of what it is to be alive and turned on by life how to transmute pain and hardship into pleasure and medicine how to embody the union of polarities including sex and spirit and how to love every piece of ourselves wholeheartedly this is a space where we don't just talk about the act of sex but rather how sexual energy permeates every area of our lives as the seed of creation and the source from which we all came Exploring sexuality in this way not only takes our sex lives to the next level, but is a catalyst for a life that turns us on in each and every moment, not just in the bedroom. Within you stirs a sexual vitality that is capable of so much more than you could possibly imagine. This is what we explore on Nectar Sex and Soul. Thanks for coming to play. Hello. <clears throat> hello everyone just a quick reminder before we get into today's episode if you're feeling inspired to drop into my new moon portal the magnetism of desire this friday The link to that will be in the show notes, so make sure you hop on that while there's still space. And in two weeks, we'll be having a full moon portal opening to Eros. So to learn more about those, you can go to the links in the show notes, and you can also listen to my last episode, The Magnetism of Desire, and next week's episode as well. This episode, you're in for a treat. I really encourage everyone to give this one a listen, even the men. There is such a wealth of wisdom in this one as to how to live with the rhythm of our bodies, the rhythm of nature, and how to navigate the different phases of the menstrual cycle harmoniously in relationship. So if you're somebody that struggled to understand the female body and the menstrual cycle and how it affects your relationship dynamics, this is an awesome episode to listen to if you really want to transform the way that you navigate PMS with yourself, with your partner, and all the other fun things that come along with menstruation. There is seriously some mind-blowing magic here that everyone should know. All right, happy listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Nectar Sex and Soul. I'm Saraya Leonara, and today I am super excited to have Laura Carmody as a guest here today. She's a menstrual health and empowerment educator, and she has played such a hugely pivotal role in my own relationship with my menstrual cycle and how I structure my work, my relation with my body, my relationship with my partner, and and so many other facets of my life, how I can structure those in connection with my menstrual cycle. And it's changed a lot of things for me. It's really helped me to feel more vital and in alignment and to move with the natural cycles of my body rather than working against them. So she is such an incredible wealth of information and is just such an incredible woman. And so I'm so grateful and honored to have her here. And Laura, thank you so much for being here. I would love to just give you space to introduce yourself and share a little bit about the work that you do.
1: Oh, Thanks, Sareya. Thanks so much for having me. And mm-hmm. I just love to hear that about the way that the work has impacted you. That's super beautiful. And yeah, I'm just excited to be here. I am a menstrual cycle educator, and I'm basically super obsessed with periods, all aspects of menstruation. I love to talk about and share about and learn about. I really, really love to support people as they are cultivating their own relationships with their cycles and creating a relationship with their bodies, with their blood that is really empowering, that is healthy, that's holistic. And so in this work, I do my best to bridge the ancient teachings of sacred menstruation that help us to develop our own practice of connecting with our cycles in a way that feels authentically sacred to us, that is connected to our ancestry, that is connected to the roots and bridging that with a modern understanding of the science of menstruation, what is actually happening physiologically as we move through phase to phase and how can we best support our bodies to live in balance hormonally and um, just to really support ourselves to thrive in our cyclical bodies. So I love to do this. Um, I work with people primarily in their adult lives and I'm also learning how to teach puberty education. So in the near future, I'm gonna be bringing this work to youth uh, which I'm really excited about and um, yeah that's that's a little bit about me.
0: Mm, thank you so much for sharing that and I I love so much that you're working towards bringing this more towards the youth because I think there are so many things that we don't learn about until later in life and sexuality being a huge one as well so that's something that I have also wanted to bring more to the youth more empowering sexual education and I can just only imagine if I had somebody like you in my life by the time I was coming into puberty, how much that would have completely changed my understanding of that really beautiful but challenging time and having the right support and the right understanding to navigate that differently would have been so empowering. So I I love to hear that you're moving in that direction.
1: Yes, yes, It's, it's so important. And yeah, same, if I had someone like you that was talking to me about sexuality, When I was moving into that part of my life, you know, it just would have been life changing. And the people that we work with, I know that you work with so many people who have, you know, different traumatic experiences with their sexuality. And I work with many people who have different traumatic experiences with their womb and and with their cycles. And what would that look like if there was actual education and empowerment that was starting at a really young age? It would just be totally transformative. So it's really cool that that's the direction that we're heading in.
0: Absolutely. I think they're both really under-talked about topics and often very shamed topics. And so I think coming into our menstrual cycle is such an incredible rite of passage that often just kind of gets swept under the rug and isn't celebrated. And same with coming into our sexuality. So it's, it's really beautiful when we can bring this to people younger in life rather than having to unravel a whole lifetime of conditioning and trauma and not having the right tools to relate with those. So thank you for doing what you're doing. Yes. Yes, totally. So I would love if you could just share a bit about some of the ancient roots of the sacredness of menstruation and a little bit of the menstrual mysticism piece of things and how ancient traditions have inspired the way that you carry out your work.
1: Yeah, I'd love to. So whenever we talk about the ancient roots of menstruation, I always like to invite people to just imagine to yourself. You can close your eyes if you like, or just you know bring into your your visualization what it must have been like to be a super super ancient primordial human. You know, at a time before modern technology, certainly before we had the ability to communicate with each other in this way, maybe it was even before we could communicate through spoken language in general, right? Mm. What, What would it have been like at this time to menstruate? You know, like our ancestors obviously noticed that we were bleeding for three to seven days out of every lunar cycle. And it's menstruation is not something that can be ignored. It's not something that can be missed. It is very obvious, it is very in your face. You are bleeding out of an orifice or- or- of your body and you don't die, you know, that's not something that happens in nature otherwise, bleeding like this and not dying. It's actually quite the opposite, that we gain greater health, we gain gain greater vitality, we can even gain greater insight and intuition and direction. And so our ancestors obviously um, noticed this, that we were menstruating. (laughs) And they also noticed that we were menstruating in Um, synchrony with the moon. And in fact, our ancient ancestors, they used to bleed many of them in alignment with the dark moon, which is the two to three days before the new moon, when there is no moon visible in the night sky. And then the new moon comes and there's a little sliver that's visible again. And many people used to bleed in alignment with the lunar cycle in this way. And one thought on why that might have happened in evolution is because if you are bleeding with the dark moon and you have roughly a 28 day cycle, which is the same cycle of the moon, then you may be ovulating about 14 days later, which is going to be the opposite side of the lunar cycle, which is the full moon. And this is going to be the time when there's going to be the most moonlight available in the night sky, and you're going to have the best chances of going out and successfully finding a partner to procreate during your ovulatory window. And so it would make sense that, you know, primordial humans, they found this flow that was most beneficial for them in terms of, you know, procreating and continuing to have human lives here on earth. So What that means then is that every single time there has been a dark moon, there have been people that have been menstruating under the dark moon. For the entire history of human creation, there have been people that have been bleeding under the dark moon. And it's thought actually that this may have been the first ceremony that any humans ever took part in, is coming together and bleeding under the dark moon. Of course, we'll never know that. It's kind of like a chicken and the egg scenario where, you know, was childbirth or sexual union one of the first ceremonies that humans ever took part in? Or was it menstruating under the dark moon? You know, who's to say? These these are all rites of passages um, that were certainly revered in ancient times more so than in our modern world generally. Um, And so all of these things were respected. Menstruation and bleeding together was deeply respected. And in these times, when people were menstruating, they would retreat into some sort of structure, often called a menstrual tent or a menstrual hut. It may have also been a cave, um, some sort of very primitive, basic earthen structure where these people would go and, and simply bleed, simply menstruate. They would retreat from their otherwise normal life, their roles and responsibilities, and they would just be together to bleed into the earth, to rest, to dream, to receive guidance and intuition. Mm. And it was believed that this was a really, really important piece of it, to receive the guidance and intuition, to divinate, Um, that this was an essential part of the ceremony of menstruation. And it was believed that when menstruating, we had greater access to the higher realms, to our higher selves, to spirit, to your ancestors, however you understand that energy, that when we're menstruating, we were more able to access communication with those realms. And Mm -hmm. it was respected, it was revered. This was a place where people would go into to have the time and space to be able to bleed together. Um, And so for various reasons in our patriarchal world, that's not so much of a practice anymore. In some places, it is still a practice um, upheld in a more oppressive way. And in other places in the world, like um, you know, in the communities that we're a part of in the United States, there is a reclamation of these places that's happening often called the Red Tent, where people are once again gathering and kind of reclaiming some of these ancient stories reclaiming some of these teachings that are often called the blood mysteries and once again starting to gather together and and menstruate together and and just talk about the experience of it Um, so yeah it's it's a really amazing thing to see so many modern people that are reclaiming these ancient practices and and finding ways to to honor and be with their menstruation again
0: Mm, and i love that you are helping to revive that it's so important and just speaking to the fact that this was a ceremonial space that was revered, that was honored and seeing kind of how far we've come from that as a culture that oftentimes our period can be looked at as like this huge pain in the ass that we just need to deal with and push through. And there's been a loss of the reverence of that time as sacred for a lot of people. And I think our culture doesn't often respect the space that is required to really honor that time and the purpose that it's here to serve. So I love the way that you describe PMS. Could you explain what you say PMS stands for and and how that connects to this?
1: Yeah, so I love to reframe PMS into please make space. Um, And just as a reminder to all of us that this is a time that we really can benefit from slowing down and creating space for our process, whatever that looks like for us individually um, and being open to how that process might change from cycle to cycle. Um, So, you know, when we were just speaking about the importance of receiving that intuition, that guidance, that direction, in order to drop into that space, we do have to slow down and really create that container so that we can be present with our womb, so that we can be present with our blood, so we can be present with this guidance that is coming through us. And in our modern mainstream, very fast paced culture, we are expected to go, go, go all the time. And if we are in that state of productivity or just constantly doing, um, we're not going to be able to slow down and listen to this subtle guidance and notice these subtle energetic shifts that are occurring for us as we move through these different phases of our cycle. And the shifts are spiritual and energetic, and they're also very real, happening neurochemically in our bodies, in our brain, and are literally changing the way that we feel, the way that we think, the way that we communicate and relate with other people. These are very real changes that are happening in our bodies and in our spirits. And so if we remember during PMS time, please make space time to slow down and to make space for whatever it is that's coming up for us, that is one of the pieces that can help us to receive the guidance and intuition that our womb may be speaking to us. Um, I believe that menstruation is an altered state of consciousness. I believe that we are, as we cycle, throughout the four different phases that we have in our hormonal cycle, that we are continuously moving into different perceptions, different ways of relating with our reality. And I believe that this is really one of our superpowers as people who carry wombs, is that we are consistently receiving different ways of looking at things, different ways of understanding situations, different ways of perceiving our reality. And This is such a gift. However, we really have to slow down to be able to receive the medicine of that gift in in order to be able to notice these subtle shifts. Um, And so it is a shift away from the mainstream narrative of our culture, (laughs) which is very fast paced um, and allows us to slow down. And honestly, on a physical level as well, a lot of the symptoms that can be associated with premenstrual time and menstrual time um, for many people, quite a few of them can be alleviated by slowing down and really just making time to rest and to do nothing during the PMS and menstrual phases. Um, And so just like that literal idea of resting (laughs) that that's a big part of it as well. And especially For those of us that are just starting to move into the idea of like, whoa, my period can be something that I can connect with in a sacred way. That can be a really awesome doorway into it is just creating some sort of container for you to rest when you are getting ready to bleed. And while you are bleeding, it sounds simple. It might even sound frivolous, but it is Huge doorway into health, into deep insight, and just into a new way of relating with yourself and your body. So, yeah, take the space, take the space you need.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I can personally attest to the positive impact that that's had on my life since taking your menstrual mysticism course. And so, I now schedule three full days off for myself, leading up to my bleed time and the first couple days of bleeding. And, and really, I I probably would benefit from taking even more time off, but I always at least give myself those three days and PMS, I think with with the veils being thinner with the fact that we are picking up on all these little details and subtleties of our reality when we're in that space. If we're still in go mode and we're not giving ourselves the space to slow down, I think that's where a lot of that irritability can come in of nitpicking and noticing all the little things. Like for me, I start to notice everything that's out of place and that can feel really bitchy when it's coming from a context of like, oh, I'm in overdrive and I'm, I'm like pushing myself when I should be in a yin state. But it's actually a gift that we have to be able to see what's out of place and to be able to pick up on these things if we are giving space to allow that gift to come through.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. That's so key. And I always invite people, like, notice what the things are that are coming up for you during your PMS state. And, and pay attention to that because that is your body speaking to you. And it doesn't mean that it's like a literal interpretation. Like a lot of people relate with, they feel very annoyed by their partners when they're premenstrual is, is something I hear all the time and, and something that I've experienced myself at certain times as well. Um, and so whenever I say like, that's your body wisdom speaking to you, I'm, I don't mean necessarily that that means verbatim like oh if you're feeling annoyed by your partner during your PMS phase like that probably means it's not right and it's not working like maybe Mm -hmm. it's something a little bit different maybe it's you need to have space to be by yourself you Mm -hmm. you, during your PMS phase you know you need to create space to express your emotion and express your emotions and write or dance or get a massage or like you know take a bath whatever that is for you Um, so notice, notice the triggers and also go deeper below the surface of just the triggers. And it's like, okay, what is this communicating to me here? What am I not giving myself? Um, what do I need more of, or what do I need less of as well?
0: Absolutely. That's such good insight. I I often say that one of the biggest downfalls of so many relationships is not enough time and space apart. And that's a beautiful time to take some space to come home to yourself and to tune in with your body and to tune in with that yin field and on that note of our culture not really respecting the yin fields, like this isn't even just for when we're menstruating and, and for women, but also for everyone. I mean, nature goes through its cycles and its seasons. We watch the moon go through all of her phases, our relationship to the sun that changes throughout the year. And we, as a culture, tend to operate in this young, go, do, fiery, action-oriented state most of the year. And because we have the technology that kind of allows us to do that, we have artificial lighting, which I believe that's one of the things that's also thrown off our cycles being in tune with the moon. Is that right?
1: Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So we have artificial lighting, we have all these ways to heat our homes and to be able to continue in this young state of doing rather than needing to slow down like we had to when we were in such deep connection with the rhythms of nature. Nature's been doing this for billions of years and we we could learn a lot from nature to stay in connection with those rhythms and to recognize that we go into burnout when we don't take that yin space. And so I think honoring our menstrual cycle in this way and honoring that yin time can also help the collective to start shifting towards, there is a time and a place for everything. And it's not like our our entire month, our entire year is not just a one size fits all approach where we should just be behaving in the same way on autopilot throughout the year, throughout the month, but rather paying attention to what does my body need right now and how can i live more deeply in alignment with the seasons so that i am giving my body this time to replenish and recharge in the winter in that more yin season so i have the energy to step into the more yang seasons of spring and summer yes
1: yes completely you know i think that finding your own connection with sacred menstruation it's such a personal thing but one of the really key threads that I see woven through so many people's journeys is that it brings you into connection with the cycles of nature in a way that can't be ignored. Like as you connect with your blood and this process, it's just so human. It is just, it's animalistic, you know, like it is so happening in your body. It stains, it's in your face. It can't be ignored. It's connected to the earth. All of a sudden you start noticing it's connected to the moon. It's connected to the cycles of the season as you described. And um, our hormonal cycles are so create are so connected to these cycles as well. So talking a little bit about our hormonal cycles and how those show up in our <laughs> dominant culture, how those show up in our dominant culture. Um, so, I'm going to use some generalizations here, and I want to preface with everyone's cycles are very nuanced and varied. And so, I'm going to speak in generalizations in terms of people who have penises and people who have wombs and those two hormonal cycles. However, everyone is not the same. Um, you know, within those two categories, there are so many different variations, but just in general, People who have penises operate on a 24-hour hormonal cycle. People who have wombs operate on a 28-day-ish hormonal cycle, however long your cycle is. It might be anywhere from 24 to 34 days or even longer, depending on the person. So let's talk about a 28-day cycle. Like, wow, that's dramatically different. 24 hours versus 28 days. And what I mean by that is for men and people who have penises, They go through generally the same cycle every day. So you can think about this in terms of the sun. They wake up in the morning, the sun rises, the sun is out. Generally, testosterone and stress hormones are highest at this time, first thing in the morning. So a lot of people are familiar with this with the idea of morning wood. Maybe some men just feel like they're ready to get up, they're ready to go, they're ready to take the day on, they're ready to work out or go to work or whatever it is. Um, And it's just the same day after day after day. It's pretty consistent in that same level of energy. And subtly throughout the day, there's going to be little bursts of um, cortisol, one of our stress hormones that are going to come out in smaller amounts throughout the day to keep the energy, to keep the focus, um, and dwindling steadily, as well as the testosterone dwindling steadily throughout the day until by the time the sun is going down, um, you know, going to start feeling more inward, more tired, less interested in outward engagement and, you know, getting ready to go to sleep, wake up, same thing. Testosterone is highest S- stress and sex hormones are highest. Let's go same thing. Day after day, after day mm-hmm. now for women and people who have wounds, this is not at all true for us. We are not the same day after day, after day, Rather, we are operating on this longer 28-day cycle where we have four distinct phases that occur in our hormonal cycle. Menstruation is just one of them. And as we are moving throughout these phases, there are ebbs and flows in our hormones. And the way that we feel, the foods that we want, the way that we want to communicate, the emotions that we have, the type of support that we need, our energy levels, how we want to exercise, all of these things are going to vary greatly dependent on what phase we are in and where our hormones are at in each of those phases. So our cyclical pattern isn't to be the same every day, but it's that we start having patterns that are happening in this larger scale over the course of our entire 28 day cycle. And so if you think about our mainstream culture, it's pretty easy to see that it's a lot more closely related with the masculine cycle, which is wake up energy first thing in the morning, go work your job at like nine o'clock or whatever it is, and then wake up the same same day, same time, and do the same thing over and over again. Um, And that works really well for for a lot of men. That works really well for a lot of people who have penises. Um, And that maybe doesn't work so well for a lot of them it's even more challenging for people who are menstruating and cycling and they don't have that same energy day after day after day. Their needs are changing dramatically as we move from day to day and phase to phase, like the moon. So instead of the sun with the masculine cycle, we can look at this feminine hormonal cycle as more closely related to the moon as it ebbs and flows through her cycle of 28 days. So what does that mean then for, you know, those of us that are cycling and menstruating in in a time where, you know, our world is really, really not created for it. For a lot of people, it means that we get incredibly burnt out. It means that we try to show up the same day after day after day. We try to work the nine to five. We, you know, have so many responsibilities and um, we don't take space to slow down. We don't have the proper education to understand what's happening physiologically and hormonally. So you know we have to go out of our way to understand what is happening in the cycle of ovulation and menstruation. Um, and you know it's it's hard. it's hard to learn that to learn these things and to disengage from this productivity mindset that our dominant culture and that capitalism has created for us to live within. Um, The good news is, is there are lots of ways that we can do it and definitely learning about our body learning about our hormones, um, gaining cycle literacy and body literacy is one of the first steps that we can take So then as we start to understand, okay, this is what phase I'm in and I'm going to feel more energetic during this time. And okay, now I'm moving closer to my period. This might be a good time for me to focus on my internal world and to put less time outward, um, you know, socializing or, or whatever that might be. And so as we start to gain this cycle literacy, then we can actually start to build our lives around where we are in our cycle. And this is really what allows us to get out of this, this state of trying to show up in the masculine cycle and really embrace our cyclical nature um, and just try to live from a place of overflow instead of burnout, um, which I know that Soraya, you and I have both dealt with in our own, in our own ways in our own bodies and stories in many different ways. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's kind of a practice of taking our, our health into our own hands and gaining this education so that we can um, create a life that's based off of our cyclical nature instead of what culture is, our culture is telling us that we need to do.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It's such a powerful act of reclamation of the wisdom of our bodies and, and what it means to do things in a way that is in alignment with our personal body's language rather than being wrapped up in the conditioning and the pressure to keep going in the way that society tells us we should. And I've noticed for myself, I've had to do an enormous amount of deconditioning around the toxic productivity mindset that you should always be productive. You should always be doing, always be going and to really listen to my feminine body and to learn how to do things in a more feminine way. Because the thing is we have to be cultivating both our masculine and our feminine energy. If we repress one, we automatically dilute the other. And so what we see a lot of people operating through is actually this very kind of distorted young energy, like true masculine energy is not an overdrive all the time. That happens when that energy is dominating the feminine energy, the feminine energy doesn't have space to express, we're not taking the time to slow down and listen. And there's this energy that's actually there's a scarcity mentality to it, where it's like, I don't have time to rest. I've got to get it all done. Now I've got to jump on every opportunity while I can. What if nothing better arises? There's this obsession with progress that devalues anything that is not productivity oriented. I know so many people that feel guilty about resting or that kind of shame other people for resting or slowing down. There can be this, um, Yeah, this judgment of being lazy or something in a a culture where everybody is like really striving and chasing. And so actually our ability to do and to bring forth that young energy to get shit done is actually deeply replenished by going into that yin field and by taking time to rest and recharge. And we are so much more potent in our action when we allow ourselves to be immersed in that yin field. And that's been one of the biggest teachings that I've received um, from the Taoist lineage that has helped me to work through burnout. And I think it's so huge to know what is right for our body. Because like you said, we live in a very masculine oriented world. And so what works for men is, is going to be very different than what works for women. And what works for one person is going to be very different than what works for the next. All of our bodies are so different. And there is no one size fits all approach.
1: Yes. Yes. You know, I see that witnessed in my own cycle all the time. If, if I don't give myself the slow, the space to slow down and to rest and to take really good care when I'm premenstrual and menstrual, I see it a couple weeks later in my cycle where I would typically be in my, like, go out there, get stuff done, go for it energy. I'm, I'm not gonna have that same zest and energy if I wasn't able to go deep into that restorative yin state, you know? And that's, that's such a good reminder.
0: Absolutely. I always liken it to the inhale and the exhale. We have to have both to make a complete breath and it would be silly to, to try to prioritize one over the other. They, they really need each other and support each other. And I think, you know, people really understand this when it comes to like, we're not going to go drive our car around on an empty tank. That's not going to work. Obviously we're going to fill our tank before we go drive around. And so I, I think this is one of the easiest ways to look at how that yin and yang energy interact but it's true i think being able to learn the language of your body and honor that above and beyond anyone else's expectations and what the rest of society and culture is saying you should do is such a powerful act of rebellion and of of truly honoring like your body and how you are going to show up as your best self in this world
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. And, you know, there are so many amazing educators out there who are sharing this information to help us understand now what is happening with our cyclical bodies. How can I support myself hormonally? What is happening phase to phase? What are the different foods and exercises? And, um, and I have lots, I can share about that as well. Um, and, You know, it's not necessarily hard to find once you are immersed into this world of menstrual health, there really is a lot out there, but for those of us that haven't been immersed in it yet, um, it is, it is incredibly hard to find, especially because it's important to remember that even when it comes to scientific studies, for example, most of them are not done on people that are cycling in the childbearing years or in the menstruating years because it's seen as like too many variables because of the way that our hormones are always changing. It's like it does make it a little bit more complicated to track some of these changing variables. Most often, this research is done on men or on postmenopausal women. And so even when we're reading studies about like health and how to take care of our bodies, it may not actually be relating to your body and what you're actually going through in this time. So if we're looking for answers, like in mainstream medicine and culture in general, um, we're really not going to get them. (laughs) So it's, it's really, really awesome to see that there's just, yeah, so many amazing people that are reclaiming this information and, um, Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff.
0: Absolutely. So yeah. Could you speak a little bit more to cycle literacy and how that can impact the various different aspects of your life?
1: Yeah, totally. So we talked a little bit about how we are always progressing through our cycle. And Mm -hmm. as we progress through our cycle, our hormones are always shifting. And primarily there are four phases, which are the menstrual phase, the follicular phase, the ovulatory phase, and the luteal phase. And in terms of physiology, what is happening here is that our body is consistently trying to create a healthy environment for pregnancy. So during the menstrual phase, we are releasing the endometrium lining. During the follicular phase, the endometrium lining, which is the uterine lining, is starting to grow and thicken again and the ovarian follicles are starting to swell in preparation for ovulation. During ovulation, a mature egg bursts out of the mature follicle on the ovary. And then during the luteal phase, which is also the premenstrual phase, um, the beginning of the phase, the endometrium lining is remaining intact and continuing to grow in case there is a potential pregnancy. And if there is not a potential pregnancy, then... um, we are going to start to move towards menstruation and eventually at the time of menstruation that endometrium lining is going to shed and that cycle just continues and continues and continues. So that's a very basic level what is happening. Um, Physiologically, our body is consistently trying to create a healthy environment for pregnancy. Now, whether or not you ever want to get pregnant this cycle is so important for health for a number of reasons. So, moving through the cycle of ovulation and menstruation, it is literally adding time onto our lives. When our hormones are in a balanced level, we are upping our bone density, we are encouraging our brain health, we are improving our. Um, our metabolic rate, we are improving the robustness of our immune system. We are in this constant spiritual cycle, energetic cycle of death and rebirth. And we always have the potential to tap into the energetics of that cycle as well. And so there is so much to be gained through the cycle of ovulation and menstruation. And um, I, I think that that's a really, really important piece to remember. As we are diving into cycle literacy and learning about our bodies, is even if you never intend to get pregnant at any time in your life, it's really, really essential for overall health to be moving through this cycle. And anything that you're doing to improve your fertility health it's going to improve all of your health and your longevity. So we we want to be fertile. We want to be encouraging the the cycle of ovulation and menstruation. And we want to be encouraging hormonal balance because it encourages balance in all of the systems of our body. Um, So when we shut down our fertility, we are shutting down one of the the main vital systems of our cycles. Um, And so this as we learn about what's happening neurochemically, what's happening physiologically in our ovaries and our uterus as we move throughout the cycle, we can start to adapt our whole lives around these phases. Um, so, just generally, what I like to think about is during the premenstrual and menstrual phases, these are more so times for ourselves. These are really great times for, you know, maybe being at home more maybe spending more time focused on your own personal process, whether that's your emotional process or your creative process uh, or your mental process, whatever that might look like for you. Really just focusing on your inner realms, And when we move into the follicular and ovulatory phases, these can be a time of more outward energy, outward focus, socialization, um, you know, expressing yourself out there in the world, maybe even a time where you're a little bit more mentally focused and um, more able to get stuff done in in an effective way. Um, And so these these are generalizations everyone's cycle is a little bit different. And so as you begin to track your cycle and you start to track how you feel from phase to phase, that's really the main way to start adapting your life based on where you are in your cycle, because there's going to be subtle changes and nuances um, dependent on your body and, and what you like and what you need. Um, And so a really big part of cycle literacy is like, well, I want to learn about what's what's happening um, scientifically, but also like, I want to learn from my body and cycle tracking is really what allows us to do that. So each day taking the time to just write down what you were feeling physically, what you were feeling emotionally, Um, there's a lot that we can learn in terms of like, you can adapt your exercise based on your cycle. You can adapt your food based on your cycle, um, to support the hormonal balance. That's already there, but there's also a lot of things that you're just going to learn through your own experience of cyclical nature. Um, and then you can start to adapt your work. You can start to adapt your, uh, your relationships. You can start to adapt really every aspect of your life based on where you are in your cycle. So if you're the type of person that it's really helpful to take a few days off whenever you're menstruating, you can schedule that in, you can plan for that and you can, you know, create the space that you need. Um, And again, this is, this is completely what allows us to move from burnout to overflow so that we are noticing what our needs are as we move from phase to phase and we are, um, we are really learning from our cyclical nature. We are looking to what's happening in our body and attempting to mirror that in our external reality as much as possible to to reflect from the cycles of nature. We see it work so well in the earth. (laughs) We see it work so well with the moon. Like there's really no need to reinvent the wheel. We're just in in this culture that we've become so indoctrinated into, we're learning how to bring that cyclical nature back into it.
0: Absolutely, well said. And deepening into that topic of that gestation really does bring through so much potency where the wombic void is that fertile space from which all life arises. It's that space of emptiness that holds pure potential from which anything is possible. And so there's a reason that when we go into meditation or when we go into a space of no mind, of just connecting with the body or taking that time for ourselves to just be yin and to rest, some of our greatest inspiration can come through. A lot of people will have their best ideas come through when they're in the shower or when they're driving because there is this kind of meditative space of not really doing so much. And the mind has that space to relax. And if we're always trying to fill the space because we're trying to get somewhere or be productive, we're actually kind of working against that because it's the spaces in between that really replenish and reignite and fuel that inspiration to continue perpetuating our action. So there's such a richness there. There's such a deep, deep richness in recognizing that we need that pulse of yin and yang, rest and work, yes. um, doing and being, and inhale and exhale through everything we do. Yes.
1: And what you said, Surya, really reminds me of what we were speaking about with you know the ancient understanding of, it's so important to go into the menstrual tent to receive this guidance and direction. And it was believed that we could receive that better when we were menstruating. Something that we have found through our modern understanding of our cycles is that there's the greatest amount of functioning and communication between the left and right hemispheres of our brains whenever we are menstruating. And how I understand that is like the logical and emotional parts of our brain are so interconnected in this time more so than in any other phase of our cycle. And so we just see things differently. We can come to epiphanies and new understandings and breakthroughs in realization. However, again, we have to drop into that, that slow space. We have to drop into that womb void space in order to be able to hear that that's coming through in order to really slow down and receive that guidance. Um, and so yes especially premenstrually and menstrually making time for that to come through is so essential and, and so valuable.
0: Mhm. Otherwise I feel like we're just smothering and suffocating the magic like there's no space for it to come through. Yeah. So I think yep. I think spaciousness is um yeah one of the most potent medicines for most westerners. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <sighs> awesome. I would love to hear a bit more about what are some ways that we can connect with our blood and drop deeper into that space of our bleed? Mm -hmm.
1: So when it comes to sacred menstruation, I think that it's really important to reflect on what sacredness means to you as an individual, Mm -hmm. because that looks really different for everyone. And it's essential to reflect on that so that you can cultivate a relationship that's gonna feel really, really authentic to you. Um, I'm gonna give some suggestions or some ideas or um, some practices, but you know, before even moving into it, I think that that's so important is just spend some time writing, spend some time reflecting, spend some time talking to loved ones, thinking about what does sacredness mean to me? And as you start to have a little bit of understanding of what that means to you, what that looks like to you, start to bring that into your practice with your menstrual cycle and really allow that to inform your connection with your cycle. So for example, if you feel that sacredness is nature and you just feel divinity when you are in nature, then maybe you make special time and space to go out into the forest whenever you are bleeding. Maybe you create space to actually bleed directly onto the earth whenever you are menstruating. That's one practice, one really powerful way to reclaim that ancient ceremony of bleeding is just to bleed directly onto the earth. Maybe you feel sacredness when you are with other people who you love and trust. Maybe you bring that into your sacred menstruation practice by finding a circle or a red tent or some sort of community where you can go to talk about and learn about and and share about your experience of menstruating. So those are just a couple examples but I just really invite you to think about that. What does sacredness mean to you? And then how might you be able to bridge that into your practice and your connection with your cycle? So some additional examples. Um, The first one, definitely giving your blood back to the earth. First and foremost is such a transformational practice for so many reasons. And one way I think it just really connects us to, you know, this ancient aspect of menstruation. Thinking back to our ancient ancestors who were bleeding on the earth, you know, they were bleeding on the earth out of Necessity, <laughs> like more than anything else, it's like what else are they gonna do? They didn't have pads and tampons and menstrual cups and all these things. You know, it's like there was no option. They were bleeding onto the earth, uh, and that doesn't mean that they were doing it without reverence or without intention. I believe that it was held with the deepest respect and reverence of this life-giving blood. You know, like they they realized that not only was our cycle connected with the moon, but also when our cycle didn't come, that that blood would be alchemized into that which would sustain life within the womb and pregnancy would would occur. So this, this was respected and we can really connect with that lineage through the practice of giving our blood to the earth. Every single person on the planet has ancestors who have given their blood to the earth. This is one of the few practices that every single lineage shares that that all people share it's just such a natural and innate part of our humanity so as we are connecting with this practice of blood offering we can do so with prayers and manifestations for ourselves and for the entire world so for me this was one of the first things that really turned me on to the work of sacred ministration was giving my blood back to the earth and offering prayers for what I wanted to create in my life and seeing just so rapidly how it was all manifesting into reality for me, like no other practice I had ever found before. Um, so that, that is a really, really powerful way to connect with your blood. Um, I just want to say on that
0: note, Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I want to say on that note, our sexual energy is the life force that we create new life with, which is incredible when you think about it. Like I think it's so taken for granted, but we create new life with that energy and what else can we create with it? And so this is a beautiful example of that, of taking that life-giving blood that we have the opportunity to birth into new life of all forms not just a child but like you said what are those prayers and intentions that you're seeding into the earth uh, with that release of the blood is so magical and so powerful and I've also had really profound experiences with that so I just wanted to tie that in there
1: yes yes I love it yes and um, so good for the earth as well. It's actually an incredible fertilizer. You can also feed it to mm-hmm. your house plants if you don't have access to somewhere where you feel safe in nature. Um, it's, it's incredible for, for plants. It's just the best fertilizer <laughs> there is. Um, you know, it's also really good for skin, it's really high in stem cell content. So you can try um, applying your menstrual blood as a face mask. Um, or anywhere on your skin that you might have any sort of irritation. Um, I know people that have used it really successfully to treat things like eczema. I have used it really successfully when having bad poison oak outbreaks. It is just incredible for skin. Um, If that sounds a little bit out there to you to just like rub blood all over your face, but you're still kind of curious, you can kind of ease into it. You can anoint yourself. Somewhere on your face or on your heart, on your womb, and just notice what that feels like for you. If that's something you want to experiment with, Um, you can definitely paint with your blood. I love to paint and write with my blood. Um, That's a really wonderful way to save your blood if you want to use it for any kind of spellcraft in the future as well. Actually, you know, drying the blood on a piece of paper. Um, And just another little practical note, if, if you are not drying the blood or giving it to the earth, um, you do want to freeze it if you're not doing something with it immediately. So if you're if you're giving it to the earth diluted with water, great, if you're um, drying it on paper, that's great as well. Um, but just practically, you do wanna keep it frozen if you're saving it for future use otherwise, just to make sure that no pathogens develop. So that's just a little practical note. Um, you can do all kinds of spell work with your, with your blood, as we talked about giving it to the earth. Um, there's lots of creative ways that you can work that into your spiritual practice and certainly work it into your sacred sexuality practice as well. This is something that you can really beautifully integrate into your sex magic practices. Um, if that's something that you practice, as long as it's super consensual on all sides, um, you can actually ingest your menstrual blood uh, as a sacrament, which can be incredibly powerful, energizing, and activating. That is something that your partners can partake in as well, if they so choose to. Um, so, yeah, those are some practices. And, you know, some of them may sound a little bit radical, especially if this is something that you're not already familiar with. And what I have found personally is that. I really required radical means of reclaiming my cycle because the forces of dominant culture that have worked so hard to separate me from that sacredness are quite radical as well. And, you know, the incredible stigma and taboo that has been built globally um, is phenomenal. And, it has, it absolutely required me to take radical means in order to reclaim the sacredness of my cycle. And that may or may not be true for you. You can definitely start small and easier way into it. But if you're curious, um, your blood is sacred, your blood is not dirty. And it's just, it's there for you to experiment with if you want
0: to. Mm, I love that. I love the topic of sacred fluids. And really embracing all the parts of our body. And I talk a lot in my work about Tantra sees everything as sacred, everything as divine, and the body is such a huge part of the spiritual journey. It's very much a path of embodiment. And so all of the expressions of the body and the fluids and sexual energy, and like you were speaking to earlier, so many of the earliest ceremonial sacred rites were these very physical embodied uh human rites of passage, like giving birth, making love, having our menstrual cycle. Like these are so innately sacred. They are what makes life go around and they are what we are made of. And it's really interesting because I think there is a huge stigma around moon blood Um, But not nearly as much around semen. Like semen is very glorified in a lot of ways, and it's like perfectly acceptable for many people to drink semen and to enjoy it sexually. But then that's not always the same for a lot of people with moon blood. And so I I love bringing awareness to this topic because they are the equivalents of each other. Um, They are they're the seed and the egg, you know, and and. They are so potent when mixed together for sex magic, and they are both so rich in nutrients and vitality and life force. And the stigmatization of moon blood is very much an expression of the patriarchy that devalues so many things feminine. And so bringing that awareness yes. back to that as this sacred, beautiful medicine is so gorgeous to me.
1: Yes yes absolutely Mm -hmm. that is really interesting the way that you know ingesting semen is so often like celebrated um in a sexual context um but menstrual blood is quite the opposite
0: and that's just
1: yep you said it perfect example of the patriarchy right there
0: (laughs) yeah yeah is is there anything else that you would want to speak to around destigmatizing period sex I just say, go for it. <laughs> <Like> definitely, <laughs> yes. you
1: know, definitely go for it. Um, I think it is certainly valuable to consider the cultural programming that we have all inherited, whether you are a person that menstruates or you are a partner with a person that menstruates. Um, we want to have sensitivity to, to that in general. We want to have awareness of the conditioning, um, and recognize that we're all going to have our own deprogramming to do. Um, but I think that there's no greater practice in terms of the deprogramming other than just relating with that practice, you know, and if you, if you are a menstruating person and you are comfortable with period sex, but your partner is maybe a little bit apprehensive, or if you're listening to this and you're a person that's apprehensive, Um, I think a really great way to kind of start tiptoeing into it is to experiment with blood in other smaller ways that might feel a little bit more safe to you to begin with. So go with your partner as they're offering their blood to the earth and, and see what that's like, see what that feels like. What does that bring up for you? You know, you might even consider, you know, talking with your partner and offering prayers through their blood. Um, to help you release some of this programming, the blood really has that energy of releasing what no longer serves. And so when we're giving blood to the earth or when you're giving semen to the earth, when you're giving any fluid to the earth, you can really offer those prayers of like, you know, I'm ready to release this cultural conditioning that period blood is dirty or that period blood is, is gross or what whatever it is. Um, and I think that that's one of the really powerful things about menstruation and blood offering is that you can actually use that practice to help take off some of those layers of shame. Um, and so just experiment with the blood in different ways that feel more comfortable to you. Like try a little taste of it, see what that's like for you. Try applying a little bit to your skin and see how that feels, um, And there doesn't need to be shame around there being um, the conditioning there because we all have it to a certain degree. Um, And if we can just be real with that and be compassionate for each other, I think that that's really the doorway into um, finding a more empowering relationship with it. So just recognizing that we all have the conditioning and and how can we support each other through that.
0: Hmm, yeah. And I, I love what you spoke to too of it's it's this life-giving fluid that is also releasing and and cleansing and clearing. There's very much this theme of death and rebirth with it, and how those are two sides of the same coin. And um, you know, I, I think looking looking at all of this in that way, I talked in one of my earlier episodes how All these polarities in life are two sides of the same coin and so even the idea that dirty is bad menstrual blood isn't dirty but the idea that dirty is bad the feminine realm like the thonic earthy muddy bloody life-giving realm it is messy sex is messy bodies are messy and that's not bad it's gorgeous and it's delicious and it's intense and it's all of it and so being able to embrace our humanity and i think there can be this obsession with purity that tends to exclude the feminine and the body and sexuality and it's castrated spirituality honestly and and yeah i spoke to this in, in one of my earlier episodes how if we are um only valuing the upper realms as sacred we are cut off from our roots and carl jung said the tree's branches can only reach into the heavens if its roots reach down to hell. I probably didn't quote that perfectly, but there's still this demonization of that underworld and that underworld is the underbelly from which all life arises. So I just, I love working to shift that perspective of darkness and dirtiness uh, from being bad to being this potent, powerful, fertile, life-giving, wombic space that that is rich and alive.
1: Yes. 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 I love that. I love that so much. I love that shift. And just that curiosity, like, what if I loved the blood stains, you know, it's like, that's one of the things that's one of the things that I love about it, that like, it is messy and it's unapologetic and it, it stains yes. and you, you, you can't, you can't ignore it, you know? And, um and it's just our human nature. It's such a beautiful thing. So I just love that curiosity of like, what would it be like if, it does stain and it is messy and that's not wrong or bad
0: or better mm-hmm. or worse. I love that. I love that so much. And, and on the note of being messy and stains and all of that, I would love to just touch a bit on the, the subject of just menstrual hygiene and, and what kind of products that we use to take care of that because there's a whole shadow side to the menstrual product industry that i think a lot of people are unaware of that can be really helpful to shed some light on
1: yeah totally so of course what's become the most um widespread would be pads and tampons and there are varying levels of safety with those i guess is what i would say um, a lot of pads and tampons actually are use bleach, which can be really detrimental for the vaginal pH level um, and health in general. A lot of tampons and pads um, even include cotton that have, you know, like herbicides used on them. so pesticides used to grow in the cotton to grow the cotton and then we're putting that on this, really sensitive part of our body, sometimes putting them inside of our body in terms of tampons. Um, So that can be really dangerous for reproductive health. Um, Something else about tampons that can be particularly challenging is that they absorb all of the fluids inside of the vaginal canal, not just the blood, but they're also absorbing all of the natural lubrication on the vaginal walls, which can create unnecessary drying and affect lubrication um, and can even cause small micro tears in the vaginal walls. um, Whenever the tampon is being removed, because it's kind of just taking all of the fluids out of that area. And then, you know, I it, I think a lot of us have had that feeling of um, taking a tampon out whenever it, it was kind of dry still. Um, it's very uncomfortable. And so yeah, when I that happens, that. no, I don't miss it at all. So, so when that happens and there's these micro tears that are being created, then remembering that a lot of them use bleach and herbicides. And so now we're like opening up this, you know, huge potential danger with these dangerous chemicals. Um, So there's a lot of reason why those like conventional methods of blood blood collection um, aren't necessarily the best for our reproductive health. Um, There are definitely tons of pads and tampons these days that are bleach free and organic and pesticide free and all of that. So those can be good options if that does feel like um, an option that just works well for you. Um, And there are many other things that you can experiment with. So menstrual cups have become very popular. Those are basically just a silicone cup that can be inserted um, kind of around the cervix in the vaginal canal. And that just collects the blood as it leaves the cervix. It's not going to absorb any of the other fluids from the vaginal canal. Um, the menstrual cup also makes it really easy to do fun things with your blood, if you want to offer it to the earth, if you want to paint with it, if you want to give yourself a moon blood mask, things like that. Um, some people find menstrual cups really comfortable. Other people don't have don't feel that way. They don't feel super comfortable with them. They don't like putting them in and removing them. really just kind of depends on your body. Um, Of course, there's also reusable pads, so cloth pads that can be rinsed out. There are lots of amazing different period panties nowadays, which are essentially just underwear that have a thicker part that absorbs the blood. Um, And there are lots of amazing organic makers um, for period panties as well. Uh, That can be a really great way to collect your blood um, if you don't want anything inside of you. There's other things that you can place inside your vaginal canal like there are menstrual discs, there are also menstrual sponges can be good options for some people. And whatever you decide to use, there is a way that you can still offer your blood to the earth. So while the menstrual cup makes it really easy. You can even soak a conventional pad or a tampon and absorb a good amount of the blood out of it. It will kind of um, filter into the water, and then you can offer that bloody water back to the earth. So whatever you find um, works for you, there is definitely a way that you can use it to offer your blood to the earth. Um, but it can be really, it can be really fun and empowering to just experiment with some of these different options that we have available since there are so many different great things out there nowadays and just see what works for your body. Um, you know, especially with tampons, a lot of people even find that their cramps are much lessened whenever they stop using tampons for, for a number of reasons. Um, so it can be really worth it to just experiment and see what works for your body.
0: Absolutely. I think this is such an important topic that deserves so much attention because this is such a vital and sensitive part of our body and we should not, you know, be exposed to toxins that we don't know that we're putting into our body in this way. So just having awareness around what our options are and then having options that are more friendly for the earth too, being able to reuse, being able to use reusable products has been something that's been really awesome for me because that's something that I really value and I'd say something I really discovered in my journey with this is it's such an amazing opportunity to connect with our yoni and to really ask what would feel good for you like what what do you need to be supported in this time rather than again being on autopilot and being like oh well this is i normally use for a long time i used a moon cup and then my yoni started speaking up like didn't like that it was bothering my cervix and i was feeling like my yoni also really wanted the flow like wanted to be able to cleanse and clear by having the blood flow all the way through and so just listening to her and letting her guide the way and if we are going to be inserting something into her Doing that in a space of deep listening and presence and reverence, not just in a hurry, shoving something up there, but giving her the opportunity to open and be receptive to that. And I think so often um, that can be something that so many women forget about, to, to have that relationship and nurture that relationship with their yoni, even when it is these things that are just you know, our day-to-day self-care that maybe feel very routine and like mindless to us, but bringing some added presence and awareness can go a long way in how we experience our menstrual cycle.
1: Yes, yes, totally. I know for me, you know, in my younger days when I was using tampons, I felt like tampons kind of allowed me to just go about my life without even realizing that I was bleeding and just to kind of ignore the process of bleeding altogether, which, you know, no judgment, if that's what you're going for, like that could be a way to do that. But if you are wanting to be more intentional and conscious and aware of your cycle and slow down and really listen and tune in, then it might be beneficial to use another means that's going to be more supportive of of that that you're going for. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, yeah, and yeah,
0: (laughs) (laughs) well, I would love to kind of circle back to some of the things about how our hormones change so much through the course of the cycle and that can affect our libido too. Is there anything that you would say about how our libido can shift throughout the course of our moon cycle?
1: Totally. So the two biggest players in terms of our libido are estrogen and testosterone. We do have testosterone in our hormonal cycle. It's in much smaller amounts than the people that have um, penises, but it does, it does still have an effect on our libido. And essentially, our estrogen is going to be the lowest right whenever we get our period. Then it's going to start subtly climbing up and it's going to climb pretty steadily from um, bleeding up until the time of ovulation. And then right after ovulation, it's going to fall. And as estrogen is going up, that is what is going to increase our libido. At the same time, estrogen is going up testosterone is going to be going up. It's just in much smaller amounts. And so as those are increasing, that is likely going to be making us feel more sexy, more outgoing, more magnetic and enticing and excited. So it's not just the physiological level of like turning us on, although that's certainly happening. Estrogen also increases our cervical fluid production. So it's also going to make us feel wetter in general. There is that physical response, but it's also the energetic response of like wanting to connect and wanting to be social and wanting to engage that estrogen really brings as well. And so what that means is, you know, At some point following menstruation and up until the time of ovulation, for most people, is the time that we feel most magnetic and the most turned on. For a lot of people, that really takes its height at the time of ovulation. And thinking about this from terms of ovulation or from terms of evolution, obviously that just makes sense, right? Like we are going to feel like we want to have sex whenever we are the most fertile. It's just that's the way our bodies work. Um, And for a lot of people that are hormonally balanced, that is the way that they feel. Following ovulation, when estrogen falls, progesterone is going to start going up. And while estrogen is like exciting and uplifting and magnetic, progesterone is just a little bit more chill. It's a little bit more relaxing. It's kind of invites us to go inward a little bit more that can also be sexy kind of that slow sultry you know it's it's a different energy but a lot of people do feel sexually turned on in the weeks in between ovulation and menstruation it kind of just depends on your energy and also the important thing to remember there is that you may still be turned on but it may just be in a slightly different way like what you are wanting out of connection and intimacy is going to be different as you are moving from phase to phase, And so again, we don't need to show up as the exact same person day after day after day, week after week, rather we can like be dynamic, changing, sexual, cycling beings, and just bringing that into our sex lives as well, bringing that into our conversations with our partners, um, that we're going to need different things as we move these different phases of our cycles. And one thing in particular that I would like to note is, the follicular phase, which is roughly a week, different for everyone, but let's say just a week in between ovular, I'm sorry, in between menstruation and ovulation. For a lot of people, that's the driest phase of their cycle. So at this point, estrogen levels are going up, but they might not be yet at the levels where like you're feeling really wet and juicy. And so just remembering that, that that week following menstruation, you may feel particularly dry You may need more time getting aroused, like more foreplay before you feel really ready to be penetrated or to receive in that way. Totally normal, totally healthy. Our cervical fluids are always shifting and changing as we move through the phases. And we want to make space for that. We don't want to put pressure on ourselves to be wet all the time or to get turned on in an X period of time to be ready for sex and, you know. Any amount of time um, we are sick, we are cycling our cervical fluids are as well and what we are going to desire in terms of arousal and intimacy of all kinds is definitely going to shift as we move through our cycles too.
0: Mm, I really love that you mentioned that because this is another perfect example of just where learning the language of our body, getting to know how we change during our cycle can really empower us to have a more fulfilling connective authentic sexual experience throughout our entire cycle instead of wondering oh what's wrong with me or I should be responding in this way or why is this not working rather recognizing what the different seasons um, express like and being able to express that to your partner and not putting pressure on yourself and knowing how to ask for what you need based upon understanding these patterns within yourself and I, I share this a lot for people that have female partners or partners who bleed to not take it personally. If something that she loved last week, she's not so into this week. Like it could just be that her body is in a very different place hormonally and she's in a different mood and it's a different vibe and that's totally okay. And so when I offer teachings around a sexual exploration and pleasuring a partner, I always stress that it's so much less about technique and so much more about listening to the moment, feeling your body, feeling your lover's body, being in communication, attuning to each other's energy field. Because if you go into it with a trajectory based upon how something went another time, you're gonna be totally missing the ability to listen and to really receive where your lover is at in that moment. But by tuning into and reading their body, that's what's going to guide you in knowing how to show up to connect with them. So I think it's amazing to tap into the language of the body and to be empowered to know ourselves well enough to ask for what we want and to communicate with our partner. And I think the more in tune our partner is with our cycle the more we can kind of be on the same page i think that's huge so like my partner sometimes is more aware of where i am in my cycle based upon how i'm behaving in a day-to-day what our interactions are like than even i am sometimes like he can he can like call it exactly when i'm about to start bleeding or when i'm ovulating and he's come to know that very intimately and i think understanding that about your partner can be very, very helpful. I have certain clients where for her, she does not want to schedule our sessions with her partner in that week coming up to her bleed time because she knows she's extra super sensitive and she has a tendency to blow things out of proportion or to take things the wrong way during that time. (laughs) So we plan our sessions around her menstrual cycle and it leads to a much more harmonious way of processing.
1: I love it. I love it. That's, that's super smart.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Is there anything else that you want to say to how we can team up with our partner in being able to navigate those realms together and, and be on the same page based upon where we are in our cycle?
1: I really love what you said about just listening and also asking, you know, like consistently asking our partners what we need, what kind of support we would like, uh, I think is really essential. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's so important, especially because of the way that men are conditioned in our culture to fix. And so, you know, I think that some men, they really like to know, they really like to know what can I do to support you? What can I do to make this situation better? What can I do to to fix this issue that's happening? Um, And when it comes to cycling, like it's just not like that. It's just not this easy cut and dry black and white. Um, It's shifting, it's changing, it's cycling. And so it's really more of a practice of being present, listening, asking questions, and being open to that support changing as we move throughout our cycles. Uh, Something that I did for my partner that worked really well, especially when we were first getting to know each other, he asked me for a chart that talked to him about each of my four phases and the type of support that I typically like during those phases, the type of foods that I like during those phases, the ways I like to connect intimately during those phases, And so that was a really helpful tool for him as he was like kind of attuning to my cyclical nature. So I think that can be a really fun way to share it with your partner and create some sort of chart or, you know, creative diagram that explains a little bit about what you feel and and how you might like to be supported and when you might like a little bit more space. Um, And then just normalizing the conversation, like normalizing, like, yeah, I'm on day 26 of my cycle. And for me, that means like, I need to spend some time alone. I think that that's a really big thing as well for people who are cycling is like, talk about it, you know, talk about where you're at, talk about what phase you're in, talk about what you're wanting, what you're feeling Um, and just normalize it, bring it into the relationship and invite your partner to be a part of it so that you can just learn together and, and support each other in that way.
0: Absolutely. That's so huge. I remember after I took your menstrual mysticism class, I went to my partner and I was telling him about the different phases and he goes, oh, I already know them. And he starts defining them in his own words. He's like, during this part, you you have a lot more like aliveness and playfulness. You're a lot more flirtatious. During this part, you start to be more on edge and irritable. And then you're really sweet and you want to snuggle. And he had his own observations and uh, definitions around the phases. And so I thought that was so interesting that he was able to pick up on the patterns and have his own interpretation so if you do notice during this time of month my partner needs a lot of alone time or she's really tired maybe during that time she's really tired I could help out a little more around the house or ask if she needs any support and really try to align in that way and not have expectations that might go against what her body is going through in that time and recognizing that especially if you are male bodied and your partner is female bodied, your hormones are behaving very differently. And so we can't just expect that one another is going to act like we would in a situation. So finding where we harmonize uh, rather than having these unrealistic expectations can go a long way.
1: Yes, yes. And I think that That can be such a beautiful place to witness polarity as well. You know, it's like, I I don't want my partner to be exactly like me. You know, I want them to to be in their own ebb and flow and to be connected to their body. And and that's just a beautiful way to like find that distance that can be really sexy.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so huge. So huge. Well, this has been so amazing and so insightful. Is there anything else that you feel like we didn't touch on that feels really important to share along the lines of these topics? I
1: I know that we could talk forever. Per <laughs> usual. Um, yeah, I, I think just the only thing that I would want to say um, to anyone who's listening, whether you menstruate or not, um, if this is new to you, and you're feeling curious, um, that you can start small, you can start where you're at, and I would just fully invite you to, like, follow any sort of intuitive feeling that you might be, that you, that might be there, and mm-hmm. that as you continue dropping into that guidance that's coming from the blood, from the womb, it's really going to continue to lead you in that direction. Uh, there's just so much that can be learned there as Soraya so often talks about sexuality and, you know, the ways that sexuality mirrors our lives. Um, menstruation is the same way. Menstruation is a mirror for us and the way that we relate to our cycles and wounds. Um, it is just another lens to see our life through and a, a place where we can gather so much rich insight and wisdom and um, just a lot of a lot of goodness in our lives so if you're feeling it just continue in that direction and yeah you'll be led in the right way
0: Mm. yes I love 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 looking at it as a mirror and I, I see that so clearly in my own life and the health of my menstrual cycle has improved drastically through understanding how to read it and yeah, learn its language um, through many of the tools that I've learned from you and to help bring myself into greater balance in the way that I go about my day-to-day life. Because if we're always in overdrive, we're most likely going to see that show up in our menstrual cycle in one way or another if we know how to read the signs. So on that note, you have so many amazing offerings that help people to learn the language of the menstrual cycle and to be psycho literate. And there's just such a wealth of magic you offer. Is there anything that you wanna share about with us about anything you have coming up or how we can learn more about your work?
1: Yeah, thank you so much. Um, You can stay connected with me on my website, threadedred.org and I'm threadedred on Instagram. I have tons of amazing free resources and information there on my Instagram. That's the place where I like to put most of my writing. And um, you can learn a lot just going through there. Um, And I also have a bunch of courses that are always available that you can purchase and download and watch on your own time to learn about all these different aspects of things that we've been talking about, just going into greater depth, whether it's the ancient, sacred practices around menstruation or the very grounded scientific understanding of psycholiteracy, learning about ovulation and fertility and all of these things. Um, It's all there and I would love for you to connect with it. And um, yeah, I send out a newsletter every Monday, menstrual Mondays and talk about some aspect of menstrual health. So that's available for you too, if you'd like that as a
0: resource. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Laura. I highly recommend anybody who has been inspired by this episode who wants to go deeper into their menstrual cycle or more deeply support their partner or someone they love in navigating their menstrual cycle to check out Laura's work. And one of the things I love about Laura is, as you can tell, she is very, gifted and eloquent in the way that she is able to express both the spiritual and the scientific side of this work in a very grounded, articulate way. So that's something I really appreciate about the way she brings this through and This episode has just been such a tiny little taste of what she has to offer. So I encourage everyone to go out and get more. And Laura, thank you so much for being here on Nectar, Sex and Soul. It's been such a pleasure to have you. It's such an honor. And I just love getting to co-create with you. So thank you so much.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Soraya. Appreciate you.
0: (sighs) Well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. And uh, have a beautiful day. Ciao. Thank you so much for dropping into Nectar Sex and Soul with me today. It's been a pleasure to connect with you. If this episode lit you up or illuminated something impactful for you in some way, I invite you to subscribe, leave a review, and share it with someone you feel would love to hear it. To learn more about my work, check out SuryaLeonara.com, sign up for my newsletter, and follow me on Instagram and YouTube, where I share tons of free content, special offers, and ensure you're the first to know about my new offerings. I offer private coaching, as well as courses, workshops, and retreats, so be sure to stay in touch if you'd like to go deeper together. Thank you, loves. Have a gorgeous day. Ciao.